Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to the College Info Geek podcast. The podcast where we have a duality going on here. Oh, the duality of man. Yeah. And his choice of, is that coffee of some kind? It is, it is coffee. His choice yep. of mildly caffeinated or mm, more caffeinated Or heavily drinks. caffeinated. Yeah. Somebody on my Instagram asked me when I switched over from coffee to tea. Now, I'd just like to put it out there. I never did. He ain't made no switch. Nope. I I love coffee and I love tea. I love drinks. They're all good. And I also love, uh, how do you pronounce it? Yerba mate? Some, I think. Yeah, I think that's it. Or know. yerba mate. Some, I think Ashley called Yer- it yerba, yerba mate. Yerba mate. I think Ashley yeah, called it yerba mate. because we mispronounce everything on, <laughs> on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I drink the yerba mate and the coffee and the tea, basically however I'm feeling. Though... What has been nice is that ever since I started doing the Nutribullet smoothie thing, I don't have caffeine until probably two to three hours from waking up now. Oh, cool. Yeah. I basically just wake just... up with nutrients? Yeah, I know, right? Couldn't you just get more caffeine instead of the nutrients? I could do that, and maybe that would make me an unstoppable Energizer Bunny, but sometimes nutrients are helpful for certain things. That is, I guess, propaganda from big food. Oh. And I'm not having it. <laughs> yeah. We have to fight against big food. Yeah. Turns out you can just eat sun the whole time. You could have just been eating sun. But no, the man wants us to buy all this food. Yeah. And we're wasting all our money on it. You know how much money I spend every month on food? It's actually way too much. Yeah. It's way too much. I was going to ask you, do you still record your expenses? No. No? Okay. I know you were doing that for a while. I do not. It annoys me to have to keep track of every single thing i do it is annoying yeah i and, just know you were doing it for a while you know like i do it every year. once in a while to get a feel for wait how am i doing now i haven't checked in a while and then i'll do it for like a two weeks or a month yeah. and i'll be like yep that's the pattern mm-hmm. uh this is the problem i'll just stop that one yeah that's helpful andrew my co-host on the listen money matters podcast which you should go subscribe to dear listener if you haven't done so already um he started tracking all his expenses on like the refrigerator so that way Laura can see them and vice versa. Like he can see Laura's. Oh, and just and write this one is dumb. Yeah. They said that before they were doing that, it was really bad. And for context, Andrew is about five or six years older than me and makes more money. But he said, I think on a podcast, he was saying that before the refrigerator method, they were spending six to $7,000 a month in their credit card. They also live in New York, but still. Oh, so it, it was entirely on like. So Just that's rice and beans. Yeah. You know, $7,000 gets you rice, beans, maybe some eggs. Man. That's about it. And a cable subscription. You got to steal pigeon eggs if you want to live in New York. Exactly. Yes. You get very adept at stealing pigeon eggs. But they are evolving adaptations as well. Oh, no. They basically have, like, they've gotten these larger talons and they make the eggs more enticing. So that way when you're stealing them, they just, like, skewer you in the back and eat you. This is getting... That would be horrifying. Oh, my gosh. Remember the fish that eats pigeons? What? No. Did you not see this? I don't know about a fish that eats pigeons. It's terrifying. I think it's in the, the urban episode of the new Planet Earth, Earth series. The I last episode. I haven't seen that. It's a whole episode on how animals have like made the human environment their own, the urban environment. And there's a bit where it shows these huge, scary-looking catfish... And they've evolved this new strategy of feeding. Basically, like, they eat fish usually. Um, But because pigeons live in the city in droves and they come to the little riverbed for water, the catfish, like, pop out of the water and eat the pigeons. And it's the most terrifying thing. Did you know that the world we live in and the way in which most animals need to nourish themselves is horrifying? It is horrifying. I mean, like, life itself is horrifying. It it? is horrifying. First, we had, like, microbes. And that was pretty horrifying. And then, like, some of them were like, I'm just going to eat the sun because they didn't fall to Big Food's propaganda. They didn't fall for it. But most of the life forms were like, you know what? I could do that, but instead I'm going to consume other life forms. I will absorb their power. 
I mean, if you think about it, like most life forms are actually cell from DBZ. Yeah. Yeah. They they just consume their victims in an even more horrifying way. Like at the end of the day, just eating somebody whole with your tail, it's it's a little less gruesome when you think about it. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Depends on how you feel about getting eaten by tails, I guess. <laughs> that is true. All right. Anyway, we're probably talking about something today. We're talking about something today. That's true. Um, I don't even know where this conversational I don't remember. Other than to say, Listen Money Matters is a good podcast to follow. Uh, But we're doing five questions Mm -hmm. today. So every once in a while, probably every three or four episodes, we take five questions from you guys. They could come from Instagram DMs. They could come from tweets, smoke signals, plane writing, sky writing, those signs that people drag behind biplanes. Uh, YouTube comments, or through the ether for anybody that has the ability to to communicate telepathically with me. I'm very lonely because I'm the only one so far that I've discovered who can do it. Oh, no. But we do take questions in any source that uh, is easy for us to record, and then we do a little five questions compilation episode every once in a while. So that is what we are doing today. And we got five fresh, brand spanking new questions for you guys. Uh, Before we get into them... I do want to basically put the call out there that if you have a question for us, use whatever method and medium is most convenient for you to send us questions. I'm Tom Frankly on Instagram and Twitter, and you are you, Martholomew, on Twitter and Instagram. I don't know why I switched the order there. Yeah. You should also follow this guy. Because do you it. have good pictures. Don't do it. I like the spiderweb picture this morning. That was pretty cool. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, that one. It almost looked like he was, like, coming out of the void because the rest of the picture on the left side is so out of focus. There's, like, nothing there. Yeah. It's kind of a cool picture. Yeah, actually, I failed that photo four or five times the previous day. Really? And then I came back the next day to go back to, like, four or five subjects that I didn't get right. Was it at the gardens? Yeah. Mm. So, like, you know, you got to have that dedication – I may post every day, but it's not because I do not make the photos badly the first time. I was like, okay, the focus is not right here. I got to go back. I'm not mm. posting it if I don't like it all the way. I wonder if there were – is it just hard for you to see on your cameras? Do you find or if it focuses right? I was using my extension tube again. Oh, okay. And I hadn't in, in a while, and it's just not as good as the macro lens that I was using. Because you rented the macro lens, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Are you so going to get that macro lens soon? I have that macro lens. <laughs> of course you do. Because as soon as I spent I, – I took like somewhere between 50 and 70 photos with the extension tubes and I was just like, here's the thing. I can't get what I want now because with the yeah. extension tubes, you have to be exactly as close as possible, mm-hmm. which means I can't get that close to insects because they're, they're scared. Yeah. And some of the flowers, like even though they were like the size of a quarter, they were actually still too big when I got perfectly mm. as close as possible. I have no freedom to say I can be this close or this close. Yeah. And it was like there were just so many things I couldn't get to work the way I wanted. Well, that macro lens is wonderful. And it actually takes pretty darn good portraits yeah, too. I am I am fairly cool with this. I, f- I figure that uh, I've been doing this for a little bit. I did the 30-day challenge and then doubled it just yeah. because I don't want to break the streak. And therefore, I find it mildly worth investing in. I think it is. Well, I mean, you are kind of living one of the tips that we give often on Listen Money Matters, which is if you want something, you put it on a 30-day list. And if you still want it 30 days later, then, okay, buy it. It just helps you avoid impulse purchases. So you did basically a 60-day list. And you also rented stuff. So that's pretty smart. Yeah. Well, I was glad I I got to try it out because otherwise I wouldn't have known whether or not it was better than my, like, $18 $18 extension tubes, yeah. which are much cheaper, but for my per- personal purposes, which is nature, if it was like a quarter or something, the extension yeah. tubes would work. But in nature, insects don't want me to be that close to them. Yep. And sometimes I have to back up depending on how much it's going to sting or bite me. So mm-hmm. I will say, this time, it won't be as close as possible. It'll only take up a third of the frame. Yeah. But if I make it take up more than that, it will run or hurt me. So yep. I compromise. Yeah, so it's worth it. You've proved yourself to be a serious photographer. so. And, hey, I could never be one to judge because I just buy camera equipment. That's true. There's, there's like, <laughs> a million things There's a lot in of cameras here. in here. Anyway, let's get into our first question. Uh, all of my time is going towards games like Dota 2 and World of Warcraft and CSGO. I want to quit, but I can't help it. So how do I get my time back? You can't. It's too late now. 
You're, this is your life now? You're gone into the once, video game void. Once a video game addict, always a video game addict. There yep. is no cure. You're doomed. Yep. <laughs> that's that's not true. Or not. So what I told this person, because this was an Instagram DM, was if you have goals in your life that you feel are more important to you than video games, and you are currently letting video games get in the way of that, then you need to remove the video games from your environment. And this is the same thing that I would tell anybody who has something in their environment that is holding them back or that is proving to be too strong of a temptation. If you have a ton of donuts in your pantry and you're trying to lose weight, clearly you shouldn't keep the donuts around and just think, I'll have the discipline to not eat the donuts after my last donut binge. No, you throw the donuts away. So I know it seems like a drastic measure to uninstall the games from your computer, but turns out you can reinstall those games. Impossible. And almost every game these days, it's like with Steam, syncs your save to the cloud. So it's not even like you have to back up your save file. Just get it off your computer for a while. Because literally all this is doing, it's not like you're getting rid of the game. You're just putting maybe an hour or two between you and playing it again. Because yeah. maybe that's how long it'll take to install it. And it's that whole 20 second rule kind of thing. In, uh, increase the activation energy required to do the thing by as much as you have to. And eventually it's going to be so inconvenient you won't do it. So we've talked about, you know, less drastic measures in the past, like having a special work only account on your computer where, you know, you don't have new games and your main account, maybe your brother, your girlfriend, or your best friend has the password and you don't and they have to put it in for you or using an app like Freedom to block programs on your computer during certain hours. But this is simple, right? Yeah. It's just like uninstall a game. Yeah, I'd do like a 30-day 30 30-day 30 like detox. Yeah. And then um, after that, there was a point in time where I realized that I was playing video games too much, and I love games, so I'm not going to stop playing them. But I was letting them take all of my free time after work, basically, and that means I couldn't be doing things that help my confidence or yeah. let me be social or help me grow in any way. So I decided I was just going to play video games on Friday evenings and Saturdays, unless I was over at a friend's place playing mm -hmm. local multiplayer. However, if that was also an addictive problem, I would just stick to Fridays and Saturdays yeah. and be like, I can but play all I want those days. You know? There's a lot of activation energy in going over to a friend's house. Because yeah. number one, you have to like be there when they're available. Yeah, for me, it's not a problem to play multiplayer whenever because it's a social event. But like, yeah. if I lived with friends and we were both addicted to WoW and we just had our computers next to each other, that then I would say, no, it's still Fridays and Saturdays. I can't make the social exemption. Remember when we all had our computers in the living room? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was honestly pretty fun. It was pretty great. But if I had had a problem with the amount of games I was playing, that would have been a bad setup. That's true, yeah. Would have been good to get rid of it at that point. Uh, and I remember you also bought a Shoji screen, not the one that was in your uh, room, but yes. a small one to put in front of your TV. Yes. Right? So I, I have a little Shoji screen in front of my TV because when I block the TV and my, like, I'm taller than the screen. If I'm standing, I can see the TV. I'm not yeah. like, where did it go? I don't have a TV <laughs> anymore. But my, I don't have a couch or anything. Mm -hmm. I have floor cushions. So my living room is designed to be sitting low to the floor. So then I can't see the TV. And it's sort of just like the temptation doesn't arise without the trigger of seeing it. Oh, wait, wait, is that a video game? Yeah. I could be playing that right now. I stay focused on what I'm doing. Also, mm -hmm. it makes the room look really, really simple and clean, which lets me focus on whatever my actual task is rather than the environment itself. That's true, yeah. Um, I will say before we move into the next one that for me, the Freedom app is actually very useful. Um, because it can block programs and it can block websites. And I've tried other ones in the past, but I ended up just biting the bullet and paying for freedom because it's the only one that syncs across all your devices and it's the only one I've been able to find that blocks things on the iPhone. Oh. Because I believe it creates like a custom VPN profile and I'm sure you could delete it somehow, but I have gone to the VPN settings and there's no delete button, so it's not obvious on how to get rid of it. So if you really want to block websites and stuff, that is a good way to do it. Uh, and you know what? Actually, while I'm thinking about it, we have an affiliate code for them. Oh, do we? I think we do. I yeah. didn't know that. Uh, I believe it is collegeinfogeek.com slash go slash freedom. And I'll have it in the show notes. Um, yeah. 
I don't know if I have it on the resources page yet, but we'll have it in the show notes. And I know that Guillermo will tell me, hey, that doesn't work if it doesn't work. It so, did just link to the Freedom website. Oh, it looks like I set it up and forgot that I did. Okay, cool. So yeah, I huh. guess if you want to support the show and get my favorite website blocker, you can go to that URL. Otherwise, um, just uninstall the games. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I would start with, to be honest. Like just, if it's, if it's that much of a problem, don't futz about Ooh. with freedom. Ooh. Just uninstall the games and do a 30 day challenge. Like this is, this is it. Like, don't tell yourself I'm uninstalling them and I'm not a gamer anymore. That's too hard. I and think like, you're going to yeah. fight back against the identity change there. Well, we talked about drinking last, last episode, right? Yeah. And there have been times in my life where I've been like, maybe I could be one of those people who just never drinks like a teetotaler. But there's always this part in my head that's like, well, there's certain times when it's, just, it's enjoyable. And really the only benefit of like never drinking again is being able to say, I'm the kind of person who doesn't ever drink. Purity is so, not great to, yeah. to do. I, I don't find value in like uber purity and perfection. So instead we just did like 30 days, nothing, because it's just 30 days. Yeah. Anybody can abstain from anything for 30 days. Uh, you know, unless you're like actually addicted to something where you'll have withdrawals and then you need to go to the doctor and figure it out. But if, you know, you just have two drinks of dinner and you want to not do that, 30 days, cold turkey, good to go, and then see where you are after that. Same thing with video game addiction. Try 30 days with nothing and then come back and see, did that time away give you the perspective you needed and the discipline you needed to now regulate and play in moderation? Yeah. And in this particular case, it just occurred to me, those are fairly addicting games. So, oh, yeah. So, like, you could also play different games. Like, if I play Final Fantasy 15, it will be addicting while I play it, but you beat it. There's an end. It's very true. You're done. And then you can move on. If I play Puyo Puyo Tetris, that game's great, but there's a single player I can finish. And also, I'm unlikely to play multiplayer Tetris for like. 18 hours in a row. Yeah. You could just be playing supremely addictive games. Do you find Monster Hunter very addictive? I find it addictive until I beat it. Okay. I feel like But, Anna like, does. it still has an end. That's true. It does have an end. That's that's a problem with, well, especially WoW. I guess like, technically you could play it forever. But there's, like, an end of where yeah. you're, like, I've basically accomplished this stuff. Unlike in WoW, I mean, I guess there's like an end game in WoW, but there's always another dungeon. Or there's always some raid to do. There's always something you could play it forever. And I feel like what I play mostly, which is Overwatch, maybe some people are addicted to Overwatch, but I play quick play and I don't play with friends very often. So usually after maybe four matches max, I'm really mad because I've been placed with bad people or for some reason, like everything went wrong and I'm just done. Yeah. So I will almost never play Overwatch for more than an hour. Yeah, I, I find fine. it helpful to specifically not try to 100% or achieve yes. things in or be the best. I, I don't care. I just – I rush through the story. I get mm-hmm. the experience and I say, that was a good game, and then I move on. Yeah. Yeah. I still haven't done all the uh, shrines in Zelda. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you know Steve Cam from yeah. Fitness? He just finished all the B-sides in Celeste. So I have not done them. that. I, I am. There was one that I haven't beat yet, and it was making me real mad. You want to know what happens after you finish the B sides? There's there are more. <laughs> there are C sides. <laughs> yeah, I watched a YouTube video of someone doing the C sides, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing that." Yeah. You would be practicing for hours just to do one. It's insane. Yeah, I don't. It's like I want to be the guy level. Platforming. Like I don't have that time. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think. I think we've answered yeah, that one pretty good. adequately. But for any addiction like this, it doesn't have to be video games. The key principle is you've got to remove it from your environment because the further removed it is from your environment, the less your willpower has to do on its own and the more likely it's going to be able to win out. All right, question number two. What should you do if you can't finish something in a time block? So... If you're using time boxing and you said, I'm going to do this homework assignment, I'm going to give myself two hours, and then I have something else planned after it, what do you do if you don't get it done? Yeah. So this is definitely a question of priority. Obviously, there's not going to be a fixed answer here because it depends on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If I if I have scheduled time to do podcast research, but that podcast isn't until next week, and then the next thing I need to do is go get car insurance for the car I just bought. Yeah. 
then it's pretty clear to me that I need to just, okay, I'll stop researching for now mm-hmm. and move on. But if it was flipped around, maybe I need to cut the second thing and say, I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah. The, the answer is not to pretend you can do both and push your day even later because yep. that, even if you can do it today and you're like, it's okay, I'll work till seven today. It'll just happen once. That's a lie and it won't happen once. You will build a habit out of refusing to finish refusing to not finish something. Yeah. And then you'll slowly let work and tasks take over your life. Um, you don't have to do everything at once. Mm-hmm. All, all or nothing is terrible. So there is a blog post that Cal Newport wrote about time boxing. And I know that I linked to it from my time boxing video, which is the one on Elon Musk's time boxing um, technique. Basically what he does is, number one, Cal is a very non-techie person when it comes to productivity, which is interesting because he's a computer science professor, but he doesn't like using apps and stuff. So, and more power that's, to you. If you fair. like paper, then you, I mean, you do your day on paper. I'm yeah, sure. I do not like <clears throat> using apps for a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, so he does time boxing on a sheet of notebook paper. And if you can imagine this, he basically uses like the, I don't know, like the left fifth of the paper to create his time boxing. And so he'll just do like the whole day going down the paper. But then if something interrupts one of the time boxes or it ends up going long, he just redraws in a modified day plan. And like reprioritizes. The, yeah. So like if you if you viewed the paper in like, you know, five columns, he doesn't draw, draw out five columns, but he leaves enough space. There could be maybe five columns or four columns. He'll just redo the plan. So I think that's useful. Like just learn to adapt to changing circumstances. Yeah, you got to be flexible. You know, if you don't get something done, like if you end up having to push something off, just go into your master task list and make sure that you update the due date. You know, if if you had said like, I'm going to get it done today, don't let it become a red date. No, because then you feel like I've got all these late things and so I need to do all of those Mm -hmm. and today's work. That way I'm caught up and it'll be feeling great. But you you can't just make today worth three days worth of work just because you feel bad that you're late. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the one other thing I wanted to mention here is when this happens, I think it's a good idea to record that it happened because either, I mean, maybe it's just like something came up. You couldn't predict not really much you could do there, but if it was just the fact that you couldn't get it done in the time you estimated, then this is an opportunity for you to fine tune your estimation abilities. Yeah. And so. I, I write down what happened. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, uh, I stayed up late last night. I couldn't think very well in the morning. Slow. So there you go. Okay, I should probably get sleep. This is like, oh, that, if I flip back through these days, that's the same problem over and over, and then you can fix it, you know? Yep. Sometimes you have to journal and record things to pick out the patterns that, you know, show you what your problems are. I've learned that um, I can't sleep six hours a night, but, like, I have to tell myself that because, like, I want to say, oh, I can because all these entrepreneurs, they do it. But I yeah, can't, you know, uh, and that actually leads us into the second qu- or the third question here. Uh, so this question reads, how can I reach a point where I'm working 14 hours a day? I want to be very productive. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not okay. a good metric. So this, this is why I thought this was a good lead in from the whole six hours a day thing. My guess is this person is following not only me, but someone like Gary Vaynerchuk, who is very vocal about working 18 hours a day, only sleeping six hours a night. He even has videos out there saying like, you have 18 hours a day, you know, you can sleep six hours a night, all kind of stuff. What are you going to do with those 18 hours? Not everyone can do that. And to Gary's credit, he has said, not everyone can sleep six hours a night. That's what I do. And not everyone can. So... I think a lot of times Gary will say very outlandish things that are kind of unattainable for some people. And then eventually he'll walk it back. But the problem is a lot of people only see like the highlight reels. So they only Uh, see him being like, you can work, never, ever, ever watch TV, just hustle. And then like, they don't see him in the moments of clarity when he's like being reasonable. He is reasonable. He's just also very excitable sometimes. Um, So let me put this out there. I don't work 18 hours a day. I don't work 14 hours a day. I've done that once. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely times when we've but done it, as right? a pattern, I would not be cool with that. Yeah. You got to take breaks. Like, and Gary's very honest about the fact that he, one of his struggles is that, yeah, he doesn't 
stay fit very well. Like he has to hire a coach to basically force him to work out. And over the past few years, he's had multiple different coaches and he's basically accountable to all of them. So that's like his big weakness. I don't need a coach because I will naturally prioritize my health and working out and exercising over other things. So you have to think like, what is the thing that you need accountability for? And what is the thing that you can do on your own? And what really matters at the end of the day? Yeah. And I I think this is also like, when it comes to any of these internet guru productivity things, even, even if you hear anything on this podcast, you should take everything and then adapt it to your own needs and not take it literally. No one has a literal success formula yeah. that we can just hand you and say, if you follow this morning routine and then you work 14 hours, you will be a billionaire in three years. Done. Yeah. No one can say that. So you, you can't just take everything literally because the 14 hours doesn't matter. What yep. matters is the work you get done in them. Also, if you're the kind of person who's going to work 14 hours, I bet that you would just do it naturally. Mm-hmm. If you if you need to force it, you're not inspired enough to work 14 hours on that work, then you're just going to have diminishing returns. It's going to be poor quality work. Yep. This week's episode of our show is brought to you in part by Hover, the internet's best place to get your hands on a domain name, which if you have not done already is something that you should definitely do in the near future. Now we talk a lot about personal branding on this podcast, building a professional presence for yourself that can help to impress recruiters and help you build connections. And the home base of your personal brand is your website. It's a great place where you can build a portfolio, show off your skills and link out to your other social media platforms. And your website, of course, needs a great domain name. Now, to make this ad spot as useful as possible for you guys, I do want to give you a couple of tips related to choosing a domain name from my own experience. First, you want to do your best to choose something that's going to seem obvious to spell in conversation, like mine, thomasjfrank.com. It's pretty easy to spell. Now, most of the time, people are going to be clicking over from a social media profile or maybe grabbing your URL from your resume or a business card. But in the cases when you're at an event and someone wants to go to your website, you want to be able to tell them where they can go without having to spend 15 minutes spelling it out for them. But secondly, if you do happen to have a name that's either long or difficult to spell, you could instead go with a name that is a pun or a play on your own name or something that is associated with the thing that you are doing in the world. For example, my handle on almost every social network out there is Tom Frankly because I could not get my name as a handle, so I also own TomFrankly.com. And last but not least, because this is an ad spot, you should be getting your domain names at Hover. They are the best place on the internet to get your domain names. They've got a super clean interface that makes it super easy and quick to buy a domain name without any annoying upsells. You'll also find over 400 domain extensions within their catalog, ranging from all the classics like .com and .me, which are probably what I would prefer to stick with for a professional presence, and all of the fun ones that you could also look at like .limo and .ninja. And once you have your domain name, which can take less than 30 seconds to buy because their interface is that good, you can also hook it up to a personalized email like thomas at collegeinfogeek.com, which is mine, which can help to further bolster your online presence. And when you're ready to hook that domain up to a website, they have a connect tool that can easily connect your domain name up to website builders like Squarespace or even online store platforms like Shopify. So to grab your domain name today, head on over to hover.com slash CIG. If you go there, you also get 10% off of your first order. So definitely go to hover.com slash CIG. That's H-O-V-E-R.com slash CIG. And I want to give a big thanks to Hover for sponsoring this episode and being a supporter of our podcast. Let's get back into it. There's actually this meme going around on Twitter. And I didn't realize like how much of a meme this is. But there's it's like, well, I don't know if it's a meme. It's like a very, very, very viral tweet. And... A lot of people have their opinions on it. Uh, but this guy, a, at A. Pompliano on Twitter, tweeted this thing that said, the most successful people I've met, and oh, then it's yeah. a list. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. Uh, read constantly, work out daily, are innately curious, have laser focus, believe in themselves, build incredible teams, admit they know very little, constantly work to improve, and demand excellence in everything they do. I have no issue with this tweet. So... There's some people out there who are just like, they're getting mad at it. Like, oh, the most annoying people write lists on Twitter or stuff like that. It's uh, like, yeah. I don't know why so many people are salty about this because there's nothing in here that's like bad. Like, yeah, reading constantly is a good thing. Though I did like one follow-up tweet that I actually retweeted. Um, somebody else put, the most successful people I know, survivorship bias, survivorship bias, yeah. survivorship bias. Yep, survivorship bias. Availability heuristic. <laughs> 
And for people who don't know, the survivorship bias is basically when we look at people who are successful and we look at the things we do and we, we think, oh, those are the things that we need to do to be, to be successful. But the only reason, the only real reason why we think that is that we are looking at the people who quote unquote survived or who were successful. And then we're like, we're basically working backwards from the way that we should be working instead of trying something out of, and, you know, using actual evidence and actual objective you know, rational thought to figure out if this is a good thing or not. We're just saying, because the survivor uses it, it's a good technique. And the problem is we don't see the people who failed who use the exact same thing. Yeah, it's like, here's their mildly random path to success. Yeah. Can I do that? No, you have your own mildly random path to success because you're a different person in a different situation. You can't exactly just do exactly what they do and expect it to do the same thing. So you might see somebody like Gary working 14 hours a day and think, all right, because Gary is so successful, has so many millions of followers, makes millions of dollars, clearly I need to work 14 hours a day. Otherwise, I can't be successful. Um, and I want to tell a story here, and I should probably make a video about this, but there's a mathematician back in World War II named Abraham Wald. And he was hired by the military to basically help out with figuring out, you know, problems like where should we armor planes and things like that. So the military was looking at planes that came back from dogfights and bombing runs and things like that. And they noticed that the planes were riddled with bullet holes all over the wings, on the chassis, but curiously not on the engine block. So they started to think quite logically, okay, the engine block isn't being shot, but the wings are and the chassis are. So we, we should probably take armor away from the engine block to make it faster and then put armor on the wings and stuff like that because uh. that's where it's getting hit. And then Abraham Wald in his you know, statistician uh, wisdom was like, what we're not thinking about here is the planes that don't come back. So it turns out that Rather than it being the fact that all planes are getting shot in the wings and the chassis and not in the engines, it turns out that those are the areas of the plane that can get shot and the plane can still come home yeah, with a very alive pilot still in it. Pretty pretty big oversight if they had just sent everybody with unarmored engine blocks. Exactly, yeah. Turns out that the planes that get shot in the engine, oh, those are the ones that actually go down and we never recover them, so we can't study them. So they ended up deciding, okay, well, we can actually leave those parts unarmored because clearly the planes can still make it home and let's reinforce the engine block. Uh, very good that they did that rather than going the other way around. So it's a very clear example of survivorship bias. You look at the examples that come, you can look at the planes that come back. You look at the examples you can see, the shining bright lights in society, the people who are very successful. You look at what they're doing and you make a certain conclusion, uh, but you can't see all the planes that didn't come back. You can't see all the people who never made it because of circumstance, because they overworked themselves and ended up getting a chronic illness and then had to like quit their business or something like that. Uh, or they like their family abandoned them or something like that. So this is something you need to keep in mind every time you're looking at a successful person. This isn't to say that you should not observe successful people and try to glean insights from what they're doing, but you need to keep survivorship bias in mind, and it should be a reminder that whatever advice you take from a successful person or observations you take from them should be tested against, uh, you know, logic, and should be tested yourself. Does this actually work in my life? Common sense applied to it, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, because there are people that are like ninety that have been smoking their whole life. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that if I want to live to ninety, I should take up smoking. Yeah, that would be dumb. And I was watching... probably not work. I was watching the most recent uh, John Oliver episode, and it starts with this old woman. She's over 100 years old, and the reporter's like, what's the secret to your old age and health? And she said, I drink three cans of Dr. Pepper a day. And she said... That's likely not the she secret. Said, <laughs> she said, three different doctors told me that I was going to die if I kept drinking it, but guess what? They all died first. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and John Oliver was like, did, did, she, did she kill them? But maybe uh, she seems oddly proud of this. But it's but like clearly, there's you know, a random anomaly every yeah. once in a while, but we hear from them because they're the ones that are exactly. worth noticing, you know? My great grandfather ate horribly his whole life. But, and I remember well into his 80s, he was always skinny as a rail and looked fit. Doesn't mean you should be eating pork rinds and drinking beer all the time. It's just like some people can get away with it. Survivorship bias. 
most people who eat pork rinds and drink beer all the time end up dying early and getting heart disease and getting diabetes and things like that. Yeah. So I guess the to wrap this all up here, it's you gotta you have to think logically when it comes to looking at what somebody else is doing and thinking, should I do that for myself? That being said, how can people start working more? How can they start pushing themselves to work a little bit longer? Because clearly there are a lot of people out there who are not putting in nearly enough work, whether it be because they have inefficient work habits or they just get bored or they just get tired too easily and then they quit. Like, yeah. What are some quick tips we can give them so that they can actually start to improve their stamina and focus? Uh, I find time blocking, like we just mentioned in the last uh, question, I find time blocking incredibly helpful mm -hmm. because – one, it gets rid of confusion about what to work on next, which can lead to a lot of just like, oh, look at all these big projects. Mm. I'll work on those later. Let me look at my emails because that feels easy and non-threatening. Yeah. You're going to avoid the hard things as long as you can. But time blocking forces you to, one, prioritize, and two, mildly guess how long things will take. And even if you're bad at it, you'll get better at guessing later. Yeah. And then, like, three, because you've had to put blocks in there, you have to be at least kind of realistic you see that there's an end to the day you're like okay i want to do all these things let me write them down that'll probably take an hour that'll probably take a half oh god it's 9 p.m yeah <laughs> um those can be tomorrow that's let's be realistic mm. because without that you just kind of circle around looking at all these task lists yeah and then you're like i could totally do it today ah i did three things and then you feel bad and guilty all the time which is going to kill your productivity anyway because you're focused on why didn't i succeed ah it's because you couldn't have yep. that was too much stuff uh so i want to share just a single concept because we've shared many many productivity concepts on this show that we do listeners can go back into the archives to find the single concept that has been on my mind lately is the word push. So whatever you're doing, there usually comes a point where the going gets tough. You kind of reach this breaking point where you want to quit. But, and I think this is crucial, usually you know that you could go longer. And you know that this breaking point is just a, is a product of mental weakness. So in other situations, there could be an actual breaking point, like your body's starting to shut down. And I've been there before. That's bad. Don't put yourself in that situation. Don't, you know, try to ride 50 miles with nothing but a banana and a single bottle of water and then get heat exhaustion and pass out on the side of the road. Don't do that. But I think in most cases, when people hit that first pain point where they think, I want to quit, that is mental weakness and a lack of discipline. And I have been deliberately putting this word in my head, the word push, because it becomes a binary choice between quit and go check your email or go play video games or whatever and say, I'm done for the day. I can get it done, you know, a different day, or I can push and keep going a little bit longer. And I'm thinking about like putting that word on my wall. So sometimes I find myself like working on this web design actually. I'll do a little bit and I'm like, I don't want to go play Overwatch or something and just like leave it for a different day. And then I just think like push a little harder. Just take the mouse and move it over to the tool and just do the work. And sometimes that results in slipping into the flow state and getting much more work done. Because sometimes the push required is the push required to get you into the flow state, to get you out of that initial period of mental resistance. Yeah. Um, another great example, I recently went out and tried to do like an all out bike ride because I've been trying to hit this little arbitrary goal of having an average speed of 20 miles an hour for more than a 10 mile bike ride. And so I went out and did it surprisingly without my clip shoes. And I did it in t-shirt and jeans. It was mm. one of those days where I was like, Oh no, the sun's almost down and I need to get a bike ride in today. And I'm in my t-shirt and jeans. I have no time. Okay. I'm just going to get on the bike and do it. So I did the six miles out to REI and I'm coming back and my legs are starting to scream at me. But I knew, because I, I've known this for a long time in aerobics, there's like this first wall you hit that is purely a mental wall. And your body has so much more ability. It's just that your brain doesn't want to use it. Your brain wants to go relax or, or slow down. So I just thought of that word, push. Push a little further because I want to hit that 20 mile an hour average speed. And I got back to the apartment and it was exactly 20. 
Not a little exactly. bit over. It was exactly 20 mile an hour average nice. speed. And um, that was an impossible list goal. So it is now crossed off my impossible list. Is There's a link to the Strava activity, actually, if people want to go see it. But that is a result of following that principle instead of giving up. And I find that I think it is like the deliberate thought, the deliberate thinking of that word and then acting on it that helps me. Okay. And yeah. I think over time you're going to get better at doing that automatically. And I've, I've actually done certain things like that where mm-hmm. at the end of it I was like, all right, I want to quit, but I'm going to set a 10-minute timer. And then at the end yeah. of the 10-minute timer, I still want to – I just ignore it and I keep working. So mm-hmm. just even just a little bit of pushing yeah. further than you think you want to. And maybe that's a good rule, like push for You have minutes. to go at least 10 more minutes. Mm-hmm. And then if you're like, oh, actually, it was just this next step. I was afraid to start. Now you're yeah. started. Or when I'm running, um, something I'll do is when I want to quit or give up or, or like walk – Instead of doing it now, I'll look and I'll find like a pole or a sign or something that's maybe 300 feet away or 500 feet away. And I say, okay, I'm going to keep running until that. This reminds me of something and I don't know where it's from. So somewhere, somewhere an idea was written or spoken or shown (laughs) in some way that I perceived. And that this person was saying like, whenever you want to quit, choose a you choose a future point at which you Mm. will quit you don't quit when you feel like quitting you say okay like i think they were trying to do something physical and they were like you're going to quit when i can't remember the full example but the point is you pick your failure point ahead of time this is the dip for sure in the moment you desperately want to quit right now but if you had chosen it you're like i said i was going to go at least five miles or 10 more minutes yeah so we will stop then because now I don't want to. But we're not going to stop before the failure point I already set when I wasn't scared of going further. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it talked about the physical aspect here. But yeah, I can't the remember. Dip, There's some That episode we did on the dip, we definitely discussed the whole idea of planning to quit in advance rather than quitting in the moment because of the pain. Um, you know, and if your leg's broken or something, like quit because well, of the pain. Well, you can quit then. Sometimes I'm going to keep going is a sign that you should stop doing what you're doing. Like if you put your face on a stove burner, like the pain is a good sign that you should maybe stop. Um, But usually when you get the stitch in your side when you're running or that mental resistance when you're working, that's not a sign that you should stop. That's your brain being lazy, you know, because your brain naturally wants to be lazy and you have to work against it. System two versus system one. Question number four. My lectures and classes don't have a mandatory attendance policy as they can all be watched online. Considering I live an hour away from campus, I find it difficult to find the motivation to actually attend university at all. And I think this is impacting my social life. So what can I do? Uh, You just gave your motivation. (laughs) That's true. Social interaction. Yep. That you just immediately answered what could motivate you. Mm -hmm. But I think I would say... You should maybe maybe commit to going to campus for like a week or two straight mm-hmm. and going to a certain set of social things. You're like, here are some clubs or making a point to talk to a certain number of people or something. Try it out for two weeks and then see, okay, was that better? Did I like that better? Was it worth the drive? Yep. And then after that, you could be like, okay, it was worth going Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Yeah. At least. You know, you don't necessarily have to go every day if you literally don't, mm-hmm. but you should just try it. We tried out. Uh, we work just so we took yeah. a whole month to just say, is it worth it to work downtown at this place? Because you can't know if the and we had to commute, we had to commute to get there and we mm-hmm. didn't know if it was worth it yet. So I'd say just go for two weeks trying to be as social as you can and then decide whether that was better. Yeah, I've actually been considering not maybe not we work because we work is expensive. It but is expensive. But they have good up. kombucha. They do have good kombucha, but so does Whole Foods. That's true, and it's cheaper. <laughs> I've been considering resetting up at some co-working place downtown because in the summer I can bike. Yeah. It was in the winter when I had to take the train that I didn't like it. But during biking season, I'm all for it. So actually I biked um, seven miles to a place called Thrive that's near WeWork sort of, and that was great. I was like, sweet, got a good 14 miles in today. Cool. Feels good. Uh, so I'm going to give a more specific recommendation here because I remember when we moved away from campus for the first time, thinking that I would go to on-campus events in the evening, but then I would go to school, 
doing my stuff, work, go to class, like take the bus three miles back to the apartment or bike or whatever I did, and then I wouldn't want to leave because now I'm home for the night. Uh, yeah, you I shouldn't have gone like, home. Eh, I don't actually want to go to that event. I'll stay here. And actually, so this is one of the one of my uh, non-regrets from college. One of my or my my intention when I was going to go to college was to get an apartment off campus with my friend, and it was going to be about three miles away. And we were going to do that because it was cheaper than the dorms, and we would have been able to pay for it month to month, and we would have had avoided debt. But then I read the book, The Naked Roommate by Harlan Cohen, which is just basically like a bunch of college tips for high schools that are entering college or high schoolers. And uh, one of the tips in that book was live on campus during your first year at least because you're putting yourself in the thick of the action. You're putting yourself right there where the social opportunities are going to happen, where you can easily latch onto them and get involved in them. You're putting yourself probably like a five-minute walk away from anything, clubs, opportunities, events, classes, part-time jobs, anything that's going to be right there. So live on campus. And I actually, if people are going to college, I recommend doing this. For at least the first year, live on campus, live in the dorms or in on-campus apartments. Put yourself in the thick of the action because otherwise it's very easy to go home and avoid it. You know, activation energy. Uh, but when we moved away from campus, one thing that I found useful and what I'm going to recommend to this person is to schedule an activity in the morning and schedule an activity in the late afternoon so that it is very inconvenient to go home in between, especially mm -hmm. if they have an hour-long commute. So maybe take a physical fitness class in the morning and then have a club you're doing. Uh, one that you have to be there for. At like 4 o'clock yeah. or 6 o'clock. So that way, well, where are you going to do your homework? You're going to do it in the library on campus because that's the closest place. You're not going to drive an hour home because you have be a club it. coming up, right? Yeah. So in that way, if there are things that you know aren't mandatory, but now you're on campus, you're going to go do them anyway because you've, you've put yourself close to them. The proximity is low. Yeah. Well, and especially with social things, it is so easy to just be like, I was totally going to do it, but I just remembered that I wanted to clean some socks. Uh, yep. I'm on a bail. Sorry. It's really easy for social anxiety to keep yeah. you from even slightly stepping outside. Anna and I have wanted to go to like a swing dance class since we moved here, but it's, it's always on a Sunday. So many times we're just busy, but on a lot of the Sundays, it's like Sunday night, kind of done. We're like here, the dance club's like six miles away in traffic. So we haven't it's gone. Like, eh. So, you know, what would be better is if we found another couple and we committed to going and it was like a plan. So now we have to go. Yeah. So you got to find some sort of commitment. And also a workout class is very useful. Um, that's what got me back into a consistent workout routine during my senior year of college. And I think my bench actually got, to, got up to 300 during that semester. It's not even close to that now. I don't. But I will assume that's good. Yes. I don't. It's, it's, I don't well, uh, given that I weighed 200, that was a 1.5 times press, which is, oh, okay. It's, I don't think it's elite, but it's good. It's, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm working back up to that. Yeah, I don't know but how given like, that I want to do like do. Ninja Warrior stuff, I don't know if my bench is ever going to be like super crazy because I don't prioritize it quite as much. I also don't have a workout partner, so I'm scared to go really heavy on the bench. Well, I'm also not sure that if you were like the bulkiest biggest bodybuilder that the ninja kind of stuff would work for that type of muscle build not really i feel like yeah. your strength would not actually help you very much there it turns out that people who do ninja warrior typically do a lot of calisthenics and bodyweight exercises and don't spend a whole lot of time powerlifting. so there's this part of me that wants to be like okay but i'm gonna be that one weirdo who's like a power lifter but also a ninja but it, it's probably it's like probably one of those cases where you have to choose yeah. if you want to be good I don't know. Again, I want to build versatile fitness. I don't care about being super specialized in one area. Uh, and I bet you I could be like a lifter and still make it through like one course of Ninja Warrior. I'm just not going to be like doing all the crazy stuff. Uh, all right. So last question here. I'm having a hard time getting over analysis paralysis and making progress on my own goals. I see so many young podcasters and bloggers and entrepreneurs with a specific focus and brand, but I can't really discern a focus for myself. So how can I stop being so focused on other people and move forward? And what I want to say here is I think this is a big problem for a lot of people because all the successful people are so visible, right? 
You follow well, this all is another the survivorship bias. It's, yeah, it's absolutely survivorship bias. But I don't know if it's more importantly than that, but related to that, at least, you don't get to see all the experimentation, all the trials, the tribulations, and failures that all these successful people had to go through before they found their niche and blew up and got successful. Because everyone starts at the bottom, and now they hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone starts at the bottom, whatever that bottom is for them, and they spend time figuring out what works. And a lot of the stuff they do doesn't work. And the problem is you don't get to see that. Now, sometimes you can see that if you find a way to dig back into their archives. Like when I was a young blogger and I was not very well known, two of my main influences were Steve Cam from Nerd Fitness and Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. And because I was a web developer nerd, I happened to know about the Internet Archive. And if you just Google Wayback Machine, you can see this. You can put in any website and you can see what it looked like in the past. So I would look at Steve's site and Pat's site and be like, man, these sites are just so impeccably designed and the content is so beautiful. But I would put their URLs into the Wayback Machine and go look at what they were doing when they started. And I was like, oh, oh, this actually looks worse than when I started. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, wow, this is bad. Um, so in certain cases, you can go back and you can see the formative years and you can see that they weren't a whole lot different than you. They just have been at it for longer. But with a lot of people you follow, with podcasters, with Instagram stars, with entrepreneurs, you're seeing them, you know, several years into their journey and possibly several years after the point at which they really hit upon their niche. So you're making an unfair comparison because you're at the start and you're still in the experimentation phase and you're looking at somebody who is established and comparing yourself to that person. What you should be comparing yourself to is other people who are your peers who are also experimenting. And maybe you shouldn't even be doing that. Maybe you should just be comparing yourself to yourself. I don't know. <laughs> well, in order to find your interest, you're going to have to try a whole bunch of stuff and you have to leave a lot of room for your mind to wander and mm -hmm. think about why do I like this or what's a new thing I never thought of that'd be cool to try. And part of finding that focus is honestly luck. Because yeah. I might run into something by accident. The reason I like photography right now is because I terribly injured my hands and had to give up every other hobby I cared about and hated it. Yeah. So I was desperately looking for like something to like focus my life energy on because I physically couldn't play piano anymore. Mm -hmm. I couldn't really play games. I couldn't do the things I wanted. And so you weren't tweeting about that. Yeah, I, I like was Nobody got to see that. Nobody got to see that photography was a result of me needing something to live for during a tough time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't just like, yeah, I think I could probably be a great photographer, so I'm yeah. just going to do it. It wasn't like that. It was chance. Mm -hmm. If I had not injured myself, I don't know that I ever would have tried. Yeah. Com complete coincidence. And without trying stuff and leaving your mind open to new opportunities and then, you know, time, you're just not going to find those things. Sometimes it takes longer. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my friends, CGP Gray, who's a YouTuber, it's like a very successful YouTuber and podcaster. I think he talked about this on Hello Internet, possibly Cortex, one of his podcasts, but he was not always a YouTuber. Like his career was as a teacher in London. And when he was a teacher, he always had side projects and he always wanted to basically escape the full-time job gig and work for himself. And he says he went through several side projects that really went nowhere basically just experimenting with stuff and nobody got to see that. And then the one that was right before the YouTube career was being a productivity consultant. So I think basically what our friend Zach Sexton does where he like hmm. coached people on how to be more productive. And he did that for a while and it kind of worked. And I think you can even go back to like one of the very first videos on his channel is like a, it's like a time boxing tutorial or some, some productivity tutorial that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of his content. And eventually that didn't work that well, so we tried YouTube. And that was finally the thing that hit. And I think he did a few videos, and they did the one on explaining the UK versus England, and that one went viral. And then it's like, okay, boom, I've hit upon a niche that works for me. I've hit my stride. And then from that point onward, he was visible. Yeah. And now you got all these people who are like, man, I wish I could be like Gray, but I just can't figure out what to do with my life. Well, you're in the exact same situation he was in. You know, I'm like a weird anomaly who got started 
at a young age. Almost all of my entrepreneur friends are people who started in like their mid twenties. They had a full-time job. They started trying many different things. Even Andrew, like a lot of people think that listen, money matters was Andrew's first thing. I have access to his Google analytics account. There's a bunch of websites he tried before LMM that went nowhere, Hmm. absolutely nowhere. And yet I don't know what any of them are. Yep. And I am closer to knowing them than anybody who just happens to be a Listen Money Matters listener would be. Yep, exactly. So don't worry about what other people are doing. Um, Experiment. But I think eventually you do have to kind of commit to one thing and, I don't know, shovel excrement for a while. Yeah. And you have to be passionate about that thing because if you're just like, I'm going to become a YouTuber who talks about productivity just because Tom was successful doing it, or I'm going to become a social media star just because Gary is so successful doing it, or I'm going to become a comedian just because Liza does so well at it. If those are your motivations, if they're external and you're just chasing fame or recognition or money, you will burn out before you ever get to the point where you're good enough to get those things, when you have the connections to you know, accelerate your career. You have to be willing to work in relative obscurity for a long time. And the only way you're going to do that is if you like what you're doing. Yeah. And I think you got to have at least a, like, if you're going to try something new too, you should do a short term commitment mm-hmm. that hits a certain point. Otherwise you might hit the very first part where it's hard and not push through and find out that you like it. Exactly. Going to hit that dip. Yeah. I got a DM on Instagram the other day where someone was just like, um, you know, how did you, how did you keep pushing through during the first year of blogging when no one was reading your stuff? And I was just like, well, I mean, there was definitely discipline involved, but I liked it. Yeah. You know, it's not like I was, I hate this if so much. If you were much. only doing it for it to be <laughs> your job someday, I would have been like, that's a bad idea. Yeah. If you don't like this at all, why are you trying to force it to be your job just because it has nice hours? Like mm-hmm. that's, it's going to take you a while. I hope you have a really good strategy involved. Yep. And remember, never confuse the idea of the role you're going to inhabit someday with the work. Um, you weren't at Iowa State when this happened, but our good friend Quentin was a computer science major at first and wasn't doing super hot. And then one day we had a conversation along the lines of, do you actually like programming? Do you actually like tinkering with the BIOS of your computer or... Do you have this idea in your head of basically like Tank from the Matrix, the guy who has like 15 monitors with all the code coming down and like rain? And do you want to be that guy because he seems cool? And it was kind of like a little, you know, self-revelation moment for him because he said, I mean, I think it's the second one. Like, I don't actually like doing all this stuff. I just have this idea in my head yeah. of of this I, this role I would like to inhabit because it seems cool. Those are two very different things. And you're never going to be that person that you think you can be if you don't somewhat enjoy the work that it takes to get to be that person. Yeah. You know, I'm never going to be a pro football player because I don't like playing football. Maybe it seems like a cool thing, but yeah, maybe you could be the best. Yeah. But the, it's not worth even finding out exactly. if you don't like it. Yeah. So find something that is somewhat interesting. It doesn't have to be a passion right away. And, you know, I never want to. I never want to put this idea out there that you just have to like find a hidden passion because I think almost no one has that, but you got to find something that somewhat speaks to you, some element of it, maybe the complexity of it, the fun problem solving nature, or maybe the fact that you get to work with people, or maybe the fact that you're just building something and you like seeing it get bigger and bigger, something that keeps you going when you're working in obscurity, and then you have to be disciplined. Yeah. Um, But experiment. Cool. So those are our five questions. Uh, I think that about does it then, right? Uh, yeah. Give us five more. It'll make it easier for next time. Just send That's us true. send us every question you've ever had. <laughs> send us five. <laughs> we just take five from one person. Yeah. That probably defeats the purpose. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Well, a lot of times, see, I, I mean, I think it's it's nice that we can answer one person's question for them in the episode, but the discussions that these spawn are useful for many people. So. Yeah. It probably would be fine if one person sent us five questions. As if long they, as they, if were they weren't super specific. Yeah. 
Actually, yeah. wait, we once did an we, episode. We once did that. I that think. was just it was five business questions from one person. As long as the questions aren't like, here's my very specific situation. That's true. How many cats should I buy? Yeah, yeah. I go to Indiana State University. Everyone and should I buy have three. Mrs. They're not Johnson successful. As a professor, now what should I get her for her birthday? <laughs> three cats. Three more cats. Yep, she already has fourteen. Bump it up to seventeen. Anyway. If you guys want to send us questions, uh, Instagram, Twitter, we're going to have our links in the description of the video. Or uh, if you want to go to our show notes page, it's going to be CIGpodcast.com slash 218, right? Yep. Slash 218. Um, we'll also have the show notes link in the description for the YouTube and the Facebook audience. So check that out. We're going to have uh, the Instagram and Twitter links. We're also going to have resource links for anything that we happen to mention here I think we mentioned Freedom. We mentioned a couple of other apps potentially um, and the book The Dip, which is a great yep. book. Uh, you should go listen to our book discussion episode on The Dip, which I think is episode 202. Uh, but the book is a good read as well and will take you possibly less time to read yeah, than not, to listen to our episode. <laughs> it's a very short book. Uh, beyond that, collegeinfogeek.com slash resources is where you can find all of our favorite apps, books, things you should bring to college, things that you should have in your backpack, all kinds of stuff to improve your life as a student. So check out that URL. We'll also be in the show notes. And thanks for listening. Um, as always, we're going to see you in next week's episode. And until then, stay cute. I am the Cucumber Overlord.